So we want to read a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to again thank uh, many of you. You've been through our study as we went through Galatians, and as we're in Ephesians, so there's been 50 daily studies that have come your way. We're now in Philippians, the second study on our daily. This is the last message from Ephesians, and on Wednesday, we're teaching in Philippians. So if you're new and didn't understand that, every day we like to keep discipling together through the Word of God, and in our Sunday and Wednesday teaching, we're teaching what we're learning in our personal study. So in Ephesians chapter 6, as we're looking at our Bible study this morning, a workman's walk, number 5 part, so it says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we're going through this study and it's my belief, Lord, that you've helped me understand things I I need to understand in a deeper and clearer, more meaningful way. And I trust that even this morning, when we see the dynamics of what we visibly see, and yet to be aware of what we do not see with our eyes, but is in absolute existence, the invisible realm, the spiritual realm. And Lord, I pray, because I think many times we contend with battles in the flesh, and instead of understanding it's a spiritual battle, And help us learn how to contend in a way that would be a great blessing of victory for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as you have in your bulletin a handout sheet, we're trying to keep some notes there with us as we're going through these studies just to um, be able to go together in this and, and really study. So we're looking at number one is the walk in victory. Walk in victory And as we're looking at this particular section, we're realizing that there's spiritual dynamics in place. When we were down in Seattle on Thursday, we were on First Avenue and quickly wanted to find a place to park. Well, you know, that's laughable down there, but we found this little parking lot we went into. You know how it is. It's like $100 for 20 minutes, right? (laughs) Something like that. And so anyways, we went in this little parking lot and it's, it's... I took pictures around everything just to think if the car's gone, we come back, I can show the insurance. It was there. And so it was that kind of a deal. So you go buy your ticket, and then you go back to your car. Well, there was this lady walking to her car by herself, and she, was, uh, she had a foreign language. She spoke English, but with an, with an accent. So my wife and I are there, and I felt bad for her to be in this situation. But she says to me, she says, is it safe to park here? <laughs> and he just like... Well, the answer is no, but I mean, (laughs) but we're parking here. But as she was walking to her car to put the ticket on her car for the parking uh, meter, I noticed on her back bumper sticker, it said Jesus and, you know, something about Jesus. So as soon as I saw that, as she was tentatively going and looking around and seeing it, going to her guy, I go, I see Jesus on your bumper. She goes, yes. And I go, well. We're with Jesus too. Let's just, let's just trust our cars to Jesus, okay? Can we do that here? So just out loud, Lord Jesus, we trust what you've given to us. Take care of them. Look over them while we're gone. 
She goes, I feel better. <laughs> but we understand that there is, you know, a blessing from God. There is a power. There is a reality uh, to our faith and what we believe. And the Lord wants us to walk in victory. And I don't think that we understand the spiritual battles until we really become believers. We're not really aware of those dynamics until we become believers. And then as we become believers, we're wondering, what's this opposition that I'm experiencing? And what about temptation? And what about how do I lead my life? How do I walk in victory? So on the sheet, it's important maybe to notice that there's some uh, things that I want to talk about. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures right off. And at a 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 3 through 6, just listen to the word. It says, For we walk in the flesh, uh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is full, fulfilled. And what's that, what is being communicated clearly in the scriptures is that we are in a battle, that there is a war going on. I think it was uh, Wearsby that said, we're not in a playground, we're in a battleground, and to understand that. Now, we're working from victory. In other words, as we're living our Christian life, we're working, listen, from victory, not for victory. Because, brothers and sisters, where was the victory gained for us? Where's the victory at? On the cross, Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. So he conquered death, correct? He conquered death for us. And we also know that at that same time when he conquered death regarding the principalities and powers and what he did in terms of bringing a a blow to the darkness that is there. So back in our scriptures, as we're going down Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he's telling us and exhorting us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we've contended with life basically on our own power, our own strength, our own will, our own determination, and this is what's going to get us in trouble. We need to understand the spiritual realm that is not seen. Now, I've mentioned before that there's a Christian, I believe it's a Christian research group, it's called Barna Research, and they do surveys. But listen to this statistic. According to Barna Research, they say six of ten Americans... So that would be 60% of Americans reject the existence of Satan, indicating that the devil or Satan is merely a symbol of evil. So that 60% of our fellow citizens in the United States would regard what we're talking about probably nonsense. But it's very real, isn't it? The battle's very real in what we're contending with. And maybe then it helps us understand then who's influencing our government? Who's influencing our schools? Who's influencing the life that we live? Who's influencing the laws, the legislation? If, if there's no understanding of a spiritual dynamic that is literally in play, 
in this day, in this time in which we live. You'll notice on your handout sheet again under the walk in victory, you'll notice there that the titles that Satan has, he would be called in Revelation the accuser, in Matthew the tempter, in John the murderer, in 1 Peter he's spoken of as lion-like, in the garden he's a serpent, in 2 Corinthians angel of light, also the God, small g, of this age. And that's just a few of the titles that are given to him. So as a believer in the battle, we have strength, we have power, we have protection, and it's going to come to us from the Lord. Now, if you would, turn to Genesis, the first book of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. What we want to look at and what we want to see is What are the tactics of the enemy? His tactics were in place in the garden. His strategies revealed to us in the garden in the very beginning when sin entered the human race. These tactics, his game plan, his strategy is absolutely in play today. It works. So if you look in Genesis chapter 3, you'll see in verse 1 it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made, and said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So what happens is here in chapter 3, we're introduced to the reality of Satan, not a symbol, not a myth, a real, literal entity coming and conversing in the garden with Adam and Eve. The question comes up, why did God make the devil? Why did God make Satan? The answer is, God did not make Satan. God created Lucifer, and it's in Isaiah chapter 14, which is on your notes, Isaiah 14. He created Lucifer. Lucifer in Isaiah 14 was one of the angels of God, a powerful angel, and it speaks about his work in the angelic realm, but it tells us in Isaiah 14 that he wanted to be worshipped, he wanted to be glorified, he wanted to be God. And there's an indication in Revelation that at the time, Satan's rebellion, one-third of those angelic created beings went with Satan, went with the devil, went with Lucifer. So, Not knowing what that is numerically, two-thirds stayed as messengers and servants of our Lord. Are you with me? So in this world right now, that 60% would not accept what I'm teaching from God's Word. I'm glad that you're here. We would ask you to take anything that's communicated from this pulpit at any time, listen to it. If there's anything that's incorrect, anything that we need to change or talk through, we're we're accountable to you and to the Lord, all right? So you take this and you ask God to reveal his truth to you. So in play is Satan, the devil, one. Satan, the devil, is not, underline, is not the opposite of God, not even close. So in our thinking, Satan is a fallen angel. He was a created being 
He's a fallen angel. Satan is not the opposite of God. God is all-powerful and Satan is not. Although he is a powerful being, he is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. And he is not all-present. You say, well, that's good news. He sure seems to be around our house lately. But anyways, (laughs) probably in, in understanding this, it would seem, and so when I say it would seem, I mean, there's things that you're, you're, make, you're connecting some points together. So it would seem that with Satan as one person, one entity, not all present like God is, so his workforce, his demonic realm, his demons are the ones out there doing the work, and there is a leadership in all of that realm as well, just as there is in the angelic realm. It is my belief that if in some way we're able to pull back the curtain of heaven, the veil, and if we were able to see the invisible reality of the battles that are going on, because it says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So if we're able to view what's going on in that realm I think we'd be on our face before the Lord. I think we would be saying, Lord, thank you every day for how much you look out after me, how much you protect me, how much you take care of me, how much you're there for me. Because he is. And we don't don't see that. But I believe the Lord would want us to have a sensitivity towards the leading of the Spirit and in this realm. Now, back to Genesis 3, the game plan. What's the enemy's game plan? The enemy's game plan is given to us in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 5. It says, For God knows, he was speaking, that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when, now notice this, when the woman saw that the tree was good and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it and gave also to her husband. And you see right in here what is being used. What is being used, what is spoken about in 1 John. Now stay with me in this. I'm going to make a connection here. So you see the dynamic that is in play for the enemy, Satan, in the demonic realm to move us away from our love and devotion of God. Important question to ask you right now. Can Satan or the demonic realm take your salvation from you? Yes or no? No, absolutely not. But in John's gospel, chapter 10, and in verse 10, Jesus, listen in this one verse, Jesus said in John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In that same verse, the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy you. So in that one verse, concerning our life and our relationship with God, God wants to lead us in victory that he's purchased for us already. So he wants to lead us that we'd experience his victory in life as we're going through it with all the things we're contending with. He wants to show us victory. At the same time, The enemy, Satan, the demonic realm, 
cannot steal your salvation, which I'm sure would be a great frustration. So he will try to steal the joy of your relationship with Jesus. He'd like to steal your testimony. He would like you not to have any fruit coming from your life. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He wants you to stay away from the Bible, stay away from church, stay away from brothers and sisters, stay away from fellowship. He'll convince you through his lies and deceptions. That's his game plan. It's stated to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going after our young people. That's a target. He wants to get in their mind. He wants to get in their heart and their emotions. He wants to take away what God put in their hearts to worship God. He wants to distract that and take it and move it away. The battle is on. And I believe until we learn how to be fighters, how to fight God's way, we won't be experiencing all that God has for us. We need to be men and women that are fighters. When we're looking over in 1 John, and we're looking in chapter 2 of 1 John, and remember what we read in Genesis, where it was the eyes, and it was desirable, and it was pleasant, and it'll make myself wise. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, look at the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I thought today would be an appropriate day an appropriate day to tell you who has hurt me the most in my Christian ministry. And that person is here today, and that person's me. Me. When you... <laughs> There's such relief in the room. Whoa! Can I be second? No! <laughs> second would be great distance. But in, in reality... In reality, when we're looking at our lives, when we're seeing self, i got to contend with self every day, every day. And I don't believe since the enemy is not all-knowing, all-present, or the qualities or attributes of God, but the enemy has a basic playbook and portfolio of my life and is constantly trying to sell me and deceive me and lead me astray. And he's going to work with me first. And that's why as we've gone through Ephesians all the way, it says the old man is dead, remember? The new man is alive. Do you remember it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Remember we studied that to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, to be able to love my wife like Christ loved the church, to encourage our children in the ways of God, to be the best employee, to be the best employer, to understand relationships, to be yielded to God. And all of that's great, but there's a spiritual dynamic that's in place, and the enemy wants to come, and the enemy wants to entice us by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, 
in the pride of life. So I'll just, again, read to you in chapter 3, verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Hmm, looks good. And then it tells us that it was pleasant to the eyes. And then, talk about pride, it could make you wise. So that's the appeal. The appeal to your flesh is given to us. He's showing us. In other words, if we were a competitive professional sports team, we would have a number of hired scouts on the payroll that would be going to others' games and then watching films an incredible amount of time to learn the other team. We're going to learn their formations, but one other thing that's important, you're going to learn their tendencies. In other words, when we're playing the team, we can look and see not only their formations and certain plays they run from that, but the tendencies that they have in that. And they study these players and they watch. And it could be something as just a quarterback maybe doing just a movement that he may do not knowing, but the ball is going to go in a certain way. The tendency of it going right is pretty strong. Those are the tendencies. They're going to find those out. They will, in professional sports, all of a sudden you see a player picked up in the middle of the season and moved over to another team. And he's with that team for two weeks, and then he's gone. He's off. We got rid of him. Well, basically, we needed you because you know the playbook of the team that we're playing, and now you're for us. I mean, that's the way it plays. And we get the information we need now that you're on our team. We just used you, basically, but now you're down the road, but that's what we need. So, again, in the professional realm, you do all you can to know the other team, to know your opposition. And for us as believers, I think we've been ignorant in this area. I don't think uh, probably we're as wise as, as the Lord would want us to be. And so when we're looking and seeing the tendencies that are there, So knowing your weaknesses, which is important, you know your weaknesses, you know the areas that are weak in terms of sinning, so then you purposefully don't put yourself in that position. You say, well, I'm going to test my strength. Do not test your strength by putting yourself in a weak position. Test your strength by staying out of the weak position. Don't go there. Stay away from there. You have to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You begin to understand the weaknesses of the flesh, and the battle is real. And the enemy will wait and wait and wait and wait. So as time goes on, if I fail in some way to our fellowship and to the Lord, if I fail morally in some way, the extent of that is pretty severe. So the enemy... There's a strategy as time goes on in people's lives because as they get to the end, you can wipe out all that was done for the Lord because all they remember is that sin at the end of your life that was such a discouraging and disappointing deal. So the battles intensify. They don't get less. They're there. You have to learn how to fight those fights. Now, over again, just in an overview, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, I think you'd find it very interesting because here we have Satan himself with Jesus. And Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days in Matthew chapter 4, excuse me. He's in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. But listen to the temptations. 
Satan comes, 40 days no food. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He's appealing to the physical appetite that the Lord would have. This is the enemy's strategy. The next, he takes him to a a pinnacle in chapter 5 of a temple, and he says to him, to Jesus, Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, your angels will give, you, will give charge over you. In other words, there's another example, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Look at the last temptation in verse 9 of chapter 4 of Matthew. Actually, in verse 8, it says, the devil took Jesus to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things... I'll give to you if you fall down and if you worship me. Again, what was used in the garden to bring sin into the world? The strategy, the temptation, the enticement, which is defined for us in 1 John chapter 2, but we see it in the garden. We see it in the life of Jesus Christ, and you know it as well in your life. You know that. So what we're trying to do this morning is as we're going through these scriptures to understand the enemy, understand the strategy, and then understand how we can gain victory. I would say that there's some certain things that the enemy doesn't want you to know. The enemy doesn't want you to know that he's not equal to God. We've just communicated that to you as well. The enemy doesn't want you to know that nothing can come your way unless God has given permission. You can look in the book of Job. In other words, anything that happens in my life, plus or minus, God's in control and God has allowed it to happen. God is in control. As a believer, as a believer, God is in control of my life and any spiritual attacks that God allows, anything that God allows in my life, Anything that the darkness does, but God has allowed it. And that's very helpful because, God, you're in control. God, you know what's going on. God, I don't know what to do right now. Lord, you know. I don't understand why this is happening. Lord, this is definitely from the pit. This isn't, and this isn't bringing light or glory to you, I don't think. But, Lord, I don't know why this is happening. And so we call out to God. God's in charge of my life. He's the Lord of my life. He's the one that I serve. And whatever outside influences may come upon me and my life or my marriage, I look to God and say, God, we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your word. You will see us through. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We look to the Lord, and God will see us through. The enemy doesn't want us to respond that way. The enemy cannot control my life as a believer. It says, no temptation has seized you. And this is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Again, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape. Pastor, I don't get it. Me and my girlfriend, we're really trying to do good right now. But we just seem to be, you know, getting 
way too involved physically, way too involved physically, and I don't just understand it. I mean, I ask God for help. Okay, well, I'm glad you're asking God for help. When do you ask God for help, mostly? Well, mostly I really pray hard when we're laying on the bed together and no one is at home in her apartment. Okay, do you think God might have said earlier that's not a good place to be? Did he not say, you know, leave the house right now, not to be there? Yeah, I think I might have heard that. I think I might have heard that. In other words, in our life, God is speaking all the time if we're listening. God wants to show us and he wants to lead us out of that. In other words, God wants to bring his control through his spirit through us and we cannot say, the devil made me do it. We cannot blame somebody else. We have to take full responsibility, absolute full responsibility for our actions. Satan doesn't want you to know that he was defeated at the cross. He doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know the power of God to help you in your life. As a matter of fact, looking over in Colossians chapter 2, I'll read this verse to you. And in chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 14, it says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and listen, verse 15, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. So Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection was an assault to Satan and his whole realm. His whole realm on Friday, Good Friday, Christ crucified, darkness over the land. They must have been rejoicing at this. We did it. We finally killed the Messiah, God, the King, the Savior. It's done. But three days later, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He's risen indeed. He conquered death. And in the principalities and powers, he's saying he made a public spectacle of the enemy. And the enemy doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know you can be set free today. You do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. Will you sin? Yes. Will you be tempted? Yes. But you don't have to be a slave anymore to sin. Sin, you can be set free from that through Christ. He's made the provision through his death, burial, and resurrection. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. He wants that fellowship between us and him. And so he's teaching us how to fight from victory. Remember Joseph in Genesis? Joseph in Genesis? He was with uh, Potiphar, serving Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife wanted to have sexual action with Joseph. And Joseph, all the time, let no temptation seize you. And so he would always be in the house. There would be people in the house at the same time, absolutely accountable. But she staged Potiphar's wife a situation to capture him alone. And she grabbed him, took him according to the scriptures. She wanted to have sexual relations. He fleed. And when he fleed, he fleed without, it's like the first account of streaking in the scriptures. Okay, so boom, he was gone. But you, you flee. You, you, fight. you fight from victory. Now, 
What we need to learn today is how to suit up for battle. What Satan doesn't want you to do is to read the Bible. He doesn't want you to that. He doesn't want you to bring a Bible. And that's why my heart aches right now for the body of Christ all over. It aches hugely. How many Wednesday night Bible studies are there in Whatcom County going through the Word of God? You're going to be hard-pressed to find any. And I'm not exalting us, me, or this work or ministry. I'm saying God has called his church to a standard of teaching his people the word of God. And no wonder we're not winning the battles. No wonder the church, in many senses, is made a sense of mockery out in the, in the marketplace, bringing God's word. I thank God for the grace that he's given to us, to you, and to this ministry. Because I believe that this ministry does a lot of heavy lifting spiritually in Whatcom County. This ministry does a lot of heavy lifting spiritually in Whatcom County. And I want my brothers and sisters and pastors to bring God's word. That's my heart. That's what God's called us to do. He says, preach the word in season and out. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, two people or not. It doesn't matter. Just bring God's word. Because this is how we fight the battle. This is how we win. There's no other way. Now, when we're looking again at our text in Ephesians chapter 5, and as we're going through this, and you're wondering why, as we went through the relationship part last week, husbands and wives, relationships with family, parents with children, and in the workplace, and you're wondering, but why is there such contention? It's because this dynamic spiritually is not understood and not being implemented. So it tells us in verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the lies, the deceptions of the devil. In other words, think about how much time it takes for you to prepare to get ready in the morning. So you look in the mirror initially, you think, wow, that's a major rearranging to do. You take shower, you just work stuff over, and you get whatever it takes to get out and to be wherever you need to be. You're set to go, and you feel good, and you're ready to go. But I'm asking spiritually, how much time did we take to put on the armor of God and to really realize what we're going into and how we're going into situations unclothed? And as embarrassed as you would be and I would be to leave the home unclothed, we should feel a sense of embarrassment of leaving the house without spiritually being ready for the day. Because we're going to be toast. We can't fight in our own capacity, our own sincerity, our own good strength. We have to understand what God has for us. So as we go through these, and you have uh, on your handout sheet opportunities to look a little bit deeper later on, but you want to put on the belt of of, of truth. And so this belt of truth is like a utility belt. It would hold all the other things that are a part of the armor of God. And you're going to put this belt of truth on. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we put this belt of truth on that's going to support everything else. That's why the word of God is truth. It supports everything. And so if you didn't have your belt on, all the other things we're talking are attached to that, except the helmet of salvation, and of course the gospel of feet that we have there. But you put the belt of truth on. And then the breastplate of righteousness, it's actually attached to the belt, but it talks about the righteousness that we have in Christ. So the enemy's going to come, 
And the enemy's going to tell you, you got to be kidding. You believe the Bible? No. Do you really? You believe everything in the Bible? You seriously believe the Word of God? I mean, really. I mean, the Bible's outdated. So the enemy's going to challenge the authority of God's Word just throughout your whole day. Who God is based on His Word. And then you're going to listen in the public marketplace all the things that they have to say. Listen, it's very interesting right now. I was going through some of my old books about cults and kingdom of cult, Walter Martin. Listen, Mormonism, by its own definition, is a cult. But we see right now, <gasps> what? You're kidding, Pastor. Uh, no, listen. Listen. You want the truth, okay? So right now, in our marketplace, obviously we have candidates that uh, in Mormonism is brought up because of their faith and their beliefs. And then they ask other people about, well, are they Christian or not? The Mormon church has done an excellent job of deceiving us into believing through the commercials that the Mormon church is just another Christian denomination. And so for most people out there, that's the perception. So somebody like myself saying what I say would say that's very unloving. And I says, well, wait a minute. Stop right there. What's the name of the church? It's called the Church of the Latter-day Saints. What does that mean? It means the historic church that was in existence from the death, burial, resurrection, day of Pentecost, 1,800 years in existence, all the work that was done, all the work established through Paul, Peter, and the whole work, and all the martyrs. You know what? The church is out of order. The church is lost. The church is apostate. Therefore, the Church of the Latter-day Saints has come into existence because we're out of order. You know, I don't have someone knocking on my door asking me if I want to convert to become a Baptist, right? Of course not. So in other words, it's not me with an opposing view. The very existence, the existence of the Mormon church is that they're opposed to the Christian faith, to us, to historic Christianity. And they're on a mission to convert believers to become Mormons. That's their mission. And they don't believe in the same Jesus. And if there's two Bi- if there's the Bible there in the Book of Mormon, take one and one only. No, we have both re- revelations. No, no, just take one. You can only have one. They're not going to take the Bible. They're going to take the Book of Mormon. It's, the, it's their revelation. See, we need, to, we need to understand the deception and how widespread that it is. So when we're looking and seeing truth, And the belt of truth, that's what the enemy's going to attack. We want the breastplate of righteousness because I am going to feel during the day like, Lord, I'm letting you down here. Lord, oh, man. And he's going to tell you, it's not you, and it's not your goodness, and it's not your righteousness. I've declared you righteous. I've declared you righteousness. It's my righteousness I've given to you. Wear that breastplate of righteousness. You've been declared right because of Jesus Christ. Thank you. So I've got the truth. It's working in my mind. The attacks come. Then we see the gospel shoes. In other words, we have been called to bring the gospel to the world. No matter where you're at, when you leave the house, are you mindful of what God would want you to bring to somebody else? Are you mindful of that? Bringing the gospel in the workplace, bringing it with the quality of life you have with Christ, with the words that he's going to give you. We're going to put on the helmet of salvation We're going to guard our mind with the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior. There's nobody else like him. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
And we're able to, the, the fiery darts that are coming our way, the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. We're going to pray in the Spirit. There's an attitude of prayer that's going on all the time. We're very watchful. We're always praying and believing God. We want to present the gospel boldly. We want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. These are the things that are before us. And as brothers and sisters, until we understand this in Ephesians 5, until we really get this in our heart, until we're really saying, you know what, I'm going to be like Paul. Paul died saying, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. It's ongoing to the very end. Until we get to that place of saying, I'm sold out to that. I realize this. I'm driving home thinking, you know something? Um, I don't like the way my wife responded to me. And I'm working up a case, you know, in my mind, driving home. And the Lord's saying, do you really want to go there? Uh, sort of, yeah, because I'm right. And so you're just driving. So you can hear the flesh, right? That's pretty clear, right? The flesh. The Spirit of God is saying, I don't think you really want to go that way. I, I don't really think you want to, to do that, okay? And so there's this work that's going on. The enemy wants to me to get involved in an argument. That, that, that's the enticement. By exalting myself, my pride, I'm right, or whatever else like that. The Spirit of God is going to say, don't do that. Don't do that. The Word, the truth is going to come there. Come in. Be praying. Pray for her right now. Pray for her. Pray for her. Pray for her. And it changes you. And it changes the situation. And it can change your marriage. It can change your life. It can change your direction. It can change everything about you. Amen?